Welcome to the Sports Report Podcast with Ben, Ricky, and Jalen. We cover trending and popular topics surrounding the world of professional and on-campus sports. With each of us having a unique sports background, we give different perspectives and insight on the current climate of sports news. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome back to the Sports Report Pod. Class is in session. I'm Ben. I'm here with Jalen and Ricky. Today we're going to be going over the NFL and NBA. We're going to start with the NFL. We had the conference championships last weekend, and we have the Chiefs and the 49ers advancing to the Super Bowl. Jalen, I'll start with you. What was your uh, thoughts on the games? A couple really good games. Lions got out to a 17-point lead, and I was just thinking, watching it, it's happening again. Shanahan is doing the same thing where he gets to the playoffs, gets down, and they can't play from down. But... I think they showed a stat. It was, what, 0-30 when it was that deficit with that amount of time left in the game. And he called a phenomenal second half, and Brock Purdy executed really well to get them back. I think that he proved a lot of doubters wrong, for sure, that he could lead a comeback and that, you know, they couldn't, they didn't just have to play, run the ball, chew the clock. Um, and on the other side, the Chiefs defense proved that they're probably the number one defense in the NFL left. I said last week that I think it was going to be a battle between the two defenses because both were so strong during the regular season, and I was going to take the Ravens' defense over the Chiefs' defense, and I was proven wrong 100%. The Chiefs' D-line was feasting Lamar. To not the Chiefs' credit, but the other side of it, Lamar was holding the ball for really long, I feel like. Um, Times in the regular season where he would just pull it down and get five, six yards, he was trying to make a big play. and you can't with how well the Chiefs secondary played. So excited for the Super Bowl matchup. Yeah, I feel like the Ravens got away from their game plan that's worked all season, which is run the ball. I think the Chiefs scored so quick and it was 7-0. They were like, okay, now we have to catch up. So they went straight to like, okay, we got to get a big play. And that's why Lamar started holding it for a while. But I think they ran it like six or seven times the whole game, which just can't happen when that's your strength. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... These Chiefs are, are <laughs> these Chiefs are insane. I, I I don't know really what to say. I mean, you guys uh, pretty much said it all. I feel like uh, the Lamar or the Ravens defense that they, they got it going in the second half. They were able to stop them uh, pretty consistently, but they just couldn't get nothing on offense. Uh, just like you said, they weren't running. Um, I forgot the stat, but like out of like all the second uh, downs they had, they only ran the ball like one time in the in the fourth quarter, which was. Uh, it's not good, especially if they're if that's a big part of their offense. And uh, when uh, the Chiefs needed to play, whether that was on defense or on offense, they got it done. Um, on the other side, uh, the Lions in the the 49ers game, uh, it was a good game. Uh, I I thought the Lions had it in the bag uh, when half when that, when it was halftime, but they made some crazy mistakes. And I don't know if you want to call it questionable coaching or not. They made a couple, you know maybe coaching errors um but the 49ers ended up getting it done uh overall I, I i like the super bowl i think that was the the uh i had both of those teams going to the super bowl but these chiefs I, they just get it done no matter what so it's going to be it's going to be a good super bowl but what do you guys think of the fourth down approach for the lions um just overall in that game yeah, it's what Dan Campbell's known. He's been a very aggressive 100%. coach since going there. But I think it's his first playoff run as a head coach, and he's learned the lesson now. 
in the playoffs, you got to take your points, especially when you're up by so much. Like, he could have made it a three-score game, but instead he decided to go for it, and that was a huge momentum swinger. Um, and then from there, it just kept falling down. He went for it again, um, didn't get it, and the 49ers just capitalized, and you got to take your points in the playoffs. And I don't think we can chalk it up to just him automatically being aggressive in every spot. I think if you think that, you didn't watch the game. Because at the end of the half, he had an opportunity. It was fourth down with, like, zero seconds on the clock, one play left, and he kicked a field goal at, like, the Niners' five or something like that to make it 24-27 when he had a chance to make it 28-27. And I'm sitting at home screaming to kick the field goal because a 17-point lead versus a 14-point lead, three possessions versus two, you need to take the points, and he did. And I'm like, okay, now they're going into the second half with a marginal lead. Of course, the pendulum is going to swing back eventually because the Niners were at home. But I was like, if they keep playing like this, they could just kind of play keep away. Um, and then, the, the like, to your point, the first fourth down when they had an opportunity to make it three scores in the second half, the first fourth down of the second half, yeah. I didn't necessarily think that that was that bad of a call. I think when you're up, especially in a situation like the Lions when you're on the road and you have a chance to rip their heart out right now, I, I didn't mind that, and they didn't get it. The second one when they were down 24 to 27, you got to take the three there. I know there's – actually, there was like six minutes left, so there was plenty of time to get a stop and get the ball back or not even get a stop and still get the ball back with enough time. Um, if there's a minute left, obviously – I mean, I think if you're down, you got to chip away, chip away, chip away, chip away. And that was the difference is they were down in that situation and, and you got to take the points. Yeah, I still think he's he's a good coach. Um, that's what type of coach he is. He's gonna take those risks. We've seen it throughout his his uh, this last year with uh, with the Lions. So you gotta live, you gotta live by, it, you gotta die by. It. I think those decisions that he made and they they made it far. And I think next year they're gonna have a good shot to to make it there again. Yeah, I think all the teams that were here this year have a good shot at coming back. The Ravens, it's gonna be a little tougher in their division now with uh, the. Burrow's going to be healthy for the Bengals. Um, but the Lions, they had a good year. Uh, Dan Campbell's been a great coach for them, helped them completely turn around their franchise. So I think now that he's been in a few playoff games, he'll learn from go, being a little too aggressive and move past it next year, and they got a shot at making it uh, to the Super Bowl. But for now, we got the Chiefs and the 49ers, and we'll break that down more next week ahead of the Super Bowl. Now we're going to get into the last two coaching hires. So we'll start with Ricky, his Seahawks. <laughs> yes, sir. So the Seahawks just hired uh, the former Ravens defensive coordinator, Mike McDonald. Me personally, I really like this. Uh, I really like this for the Seahawks. We had the oldest coach, and now we have the youngest coach in NFL. And I think that's what we were missing, just that young presence, especially uh, a coach in that locker room. Um I feel like our defense is going to be stronger just because he's coming off of, like, that's his specialty defense. I think he's going to put a good scheme in. We have the talent. Um, I feel like we just need the strategy behind the talent to get it done. Um, also, I am curious on to see what we're going to do with the offense. Um, I know we we still have Geno. We signed him. But we have, like, DK, Tyler Lockett still, Noah Fant, Jackson Smith. We got all these – high offensive power weapons and I feel like we still haven't been able to use, utilize them as much so next year I'm really I'm really seeing on what we're going to do with that 
Yeah, I think it was a good hire. I think it'll be interesting to see who they bring in as an offensive coordinator. Um, but it's really going to be dependent on Geno for me. He was really good his first year in Seattle, and then this year he took a step back. Drew Locke even got an opportunity. I know Geno was a little banged up, but I think their quarterback situation is something to watch this offseason. I think Geno has two more years on his deal. And I don't know, is Drew Locke signed for next year too? I'm not sure, but it's this is Geno's make-it-or-break year for sure. Like, if he does bad this year, then it's uh, honestly – well, I wouldn't say bad. He has to do he has to do fairly well for them, I believe, to keep him there, you know. But, yeah. yeah. So moving on to the Commanders, they hired Dan Quinn, the Dallas Cowboys defensive coordinator, as their head coach. And Dan Quinn was also previously the Atlanta Falcons head coach when they went to the Super Bowl, but they did blow the 28 to 3 lead, so got to be careful with his playoff success there. Um Jalen, what did you think of that hire? Uh, in-division hire, and I think like we were talking about a little bit off-air, I believe Ron Rivera is now taking offers, or not taking offers, but at least talking to the Cowboys, um, which is funny, a uh, little NFC East inner division uh, coaching bidding there. Um, but I like the Commanders got someone who was defensive-minded. Um, their defense was so bad last year, and I think Sam Howell got his opportunity, and he did really well for the first half of the year. Um but they were just they were putting up points against against pretty good caliber teams and giving up an unbelievable amount of points on the other end. So uh, the commanders still got talent, and uh, I'm excited to see next year in that division that's going to be so good. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting because the Cowboys are coming off of a bad playoff loss. So are the Eagles, and then the Giants and Commanders have shown they can be competitive the last couple of years, but have been inconsistent. So. That should be a fun division. Now we're going to shift gears to the NBA. And we had a trade go down just uh, right when we started recording. The Memphis Grizzlies traded Steven Adams to the Houston Rockets for Victor Oladipo and three second-round picks. Now this trade doesn't have a huge impact of this year. Adams is out for the year already, and Oladipo hasn't played all season he may return later down the line but for now this looks like just a future move so Houston is getting Steven Adams a veteran center and they've been kind of competitive this year they're kind of mixing in veterans and young talent and for the Grizzlies they get three second round picks and Oladipo who probably won't play much for them so I'll start with Ricky what do you think about this trade yeah I mean I don't really uh, it's like you know whatever trade you know like okay it's just I, I don't really see anything I guess it's good for the Rockets next year getting Steven Adams but he is old and the Rockets never played their older players <laughs> so I mean I think it's just a, a, a throwaway trade like just getting picks uh picks from him I, I don't really have any if this was 2017 this would be on the front page of every <laughs> no. sports media outlet it would um, but I totally agree with you, Ricky. I think uh, as we get closer to the trade deadline, um, you know, teams like to wait till the very, very last second and try to maximize their value that they feel for whoever played that they're trying to move. And that's what makes the deadline so fun. Um, I think that the Rockets are getting a guy, no matter how old he is, has proven that his style of play is you need at least a guy like that if you're a team that's trying to contend, especially if you're young like the Rockets. Um 
I think he Sengun is is gonna take a lot from him when Adams is healthy. He'll be great for the locker room, I think. Um, we saw what he did with the Grizzlies on kind of a pretty dysfunctional team, and and he was kind of the glue, I think. I suspect at least because now that I mean he's hurt and he's not playing, it is just a mess over there in Memphis. Um, now that they're now that Memphis is playing without him, it kind of has exposed how bad of a rebounder Jaron Jackson Jr. is, even with his size, still an elite defender, which is so weird. Um, but the Rockets are getting, I think, the best value out of this trade. Um, three seconds is a lot. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited to see next year what's going to happen. Victor, man, he's just been hurt. Um, I think we were robbed as fans of a much, much better career from a guy who was so explosive and athletic and can score from anywhere. Yeah, he was really great when he was in Indiana before all the injuries, and now he's kind of bounced around the league. Um but, yeah, I agree. I think Adams will be a good leader uh, for Houston. He'll be a good backup behind Sengun and can help mentor Sengun. And for the Grizzlies, you get a few second-round picks. Um, I think Oladipo's contract is also expiring, so you get cap flexibility for the offseason. And now they kind of have to look for a center somewhere because, as you mentioned, Jaron isn't a great rebounder. He's a great defender, but... You need someone next to him, so we'll have to see what they do with that. Now we'll move on to the Western Conference as a whole, and it's been a very close race in the Western Conference. Uh, Ricky, I know you wanted to talk about this, so what have you seen from the Western Conference? Um, well, uh, before when we started and we had our predictions, yeah, mine is mine is totally blown up. <laughs> I, I don't know about you, about you guys, but I, I definitely <laughs> didn't have the Thunder, the Timberwolves, number one and two. I know you guys were hot on the Thunder. I, I don't even think I had them in my top ten. I thought they honestly needed one more year um, uh, to get, like, accommodated with Chet and everything else. But they're playing lights out. I, I pretty much had, like, a question, or I wanted to throw a question out to you guys. I know we're more than halfway done uh, with the season or halfway into the season. Do you believe that the Timberwolves and the Thunder are going to, like, stay up one and two? Or do you think there's going to be a little bit of fluctuation throughout the West coming up? I think it really depends on what the teams do at the trade deadline. I think both teams have good cores, but they could both use more bench pieces. Um, Oklahoma City can make a trade whenever they want for basically whoever they want that's not untouchable. They have so many draft picks. They have some good contracts they could trade. So I think OKC has a lot more flexibility. Now Minnesota, it's going to be a little harder for them to make a trade. They traded away so much to get Gobert a couple years ago that they're limited in the assets they could trade away without trading away Conley or Towns or Gobert or McDaniels, who they're not going to trade. So they're already like way over the cap, so it's it's really tough for them to make a huge move. I've seen that they want to get a backup point guard, so Tyus Jones is a name that's been linked to them. So something like that could help their bench production. And for OKC, if there's a star that becomes available that they view as a fit, they could go get him and really solidify themselves as contenders. But I also think Denver is going to overtake at least Minnesota. I think Oklahoma City has so much more flexibility with the trade deadline. They'll stay up there. But I think Denver, being the champs, are going to overtake Minnesota. I think they'll fall to like the three or four seed by the end of the year. The Thunder are back, baby. <laughs> I think that they're going to be good for a while. 
And if you really think about it, they kind of never left. That Russ-KD era, obviously, everything went their separate ways. And when Russ was still on that team, they were a sixth seed, trying to just find anyone they could pull from around the NBA to still compete. And after that, they were still competitive with Chris Paul um, and not not shy. Was shy on that yeah, team at that point? Was, yeah, because he's yes. part of the trade. Yes. He's part of that whole trade. And they were they were competitive as a kind of a bottom. They of the were a playoff team. team. Yeah, I think they're the fourth or fifth seed. That franchise has been operated so well over this decade, and the move to sit Chet last year, I think, is a proven formula. We saw it with Ben Simmons how well he performed in his first year after he sat out that first year. Um, can't say so much anymore, but yeah, he was definitely well, he had on a good game the other night. He did, but he got <laughs> hurt again. He's out now. Yeah, again, so. yeah I'm just playing. Yeah. <laughs> he was playing good though. He had a near triple double and then got hurt again. Yeah, Ben Simmons, man. But just the idea for rookies to have a year to settle in and and get used to actually playing basketball against grown men. I think we overlook that sometimes with a with a one and done guy out of college who hasn't necessarily played overseas or anything like a situation like Lamelo Ball. But like for Chet, he's coming in. I don't know how old he was when he's drafted, but I'm guessing 18, uh, 19, 20 years old. He has to physically get used to the speed of the game playing against guys who are savvy and have also just have been there before. And he's playing like it. He's playing like a vet. He's shooting really well. He knows his role within that offense. And I think it's something like uh, a situation where in Victor Webanyama's case, he kind of has to do everything because the Spurs don't have any direction or team identity just because of the talent that's on their team. And Chet is really benefiting from that. Um Shea is a generational talent. He scores at will. He produces. Um, on the Minnesota side, I agree with you, Ben. I think that they're overperforming a lot right now. Cat um, is is kind of taking advantage of his size and his game and the regular season, the, the extended regular season where it's easy for a guy like that to go out and not necessarily pad stats. I'm not saying that at all, but to record a lot of points and it's completely different in the playoffs. Um, I agree with you. I think the Nuggets and the Clippers are in a spot. They're in a. They like where they're at, and the Thunder and the Timberwolves are trying to, you know, hold everything together right now. And I think OKC is in a little bit better spot to do that. Yeah, I agree. And now, oh, hang on. Shams just tweeted that Joel Embiid oh, has suffered a torn meniscus in his left knee. Oh my! Mm. So that likely means he's out for the year. So wow. that is huge news. That means Philadelphia's trade deadline is going to look completely different. They're probably going to drop very far in the standings. Yeah, that Maxi's already been out for multiple games. And, yeah, right now they sit in fifth at 29 and 17. So they're probably going to be dropping to maybe a play-in team, I would imagine. Um, How so long is Maxi uh, supposed to be out for? He's he's considered day to day, so he's probably back pretty soon. But yeah, I'm beat out for the year. That's a blow. He was having such. I mean, he was having maybe a more proven year than last year when he won MVP. It looked like he. So l- let's dive into the conversation that's been going on around the league now that we have Embiid out for the year. A lot of teams have. Uh, thought that their players are pushing back to come back from injuries early now that there's the 65-game requirement to be up for awards. And it's not just that the players want to win the awards. Money is tied to it. So Tyrese Halliburton talked about it the other day. He's missed, I think, 11 games so far, so he can't miss too many more. Um, And if he doesn't make 
he doesn't play uh, 65 games this year, then that means he's not going to be eligible for like a supermax in a couple of years, which will cost him $41 million. So what do you guys think about the... I get like why the NBA implemented it because they want like their players to play as many games as possible and get rid of the load management. But also you have players now pushing back when they're they're not ready to play and it's causing health concerns and now we have him beat out for the year. Yeah, to your point, the concept of the rule is kind of the same as the in-season tournament, right? You want to make the intensity of the regular season on par with that of a playoff situation, not necessarily to the same, but to elevate everything. And the 65-game minimum for uh, eligibility for awards is the same thing. It's to make sure players are playing. And I didn't know that that you weren't eligible for money, and when you said that, that totally made sense. And I have a question for you guys. Do you think it's the rule, or is it just how it's being enforced? Like, is 65 games too much? Is 55 where we need to be? Or is the inception of the rule kind of not structured in a way where it's benefiting the players? I think they should try and restructure it in a way where it doesn't cost them money. Because the way it is right now, when you win like an award or make All-NBA, which is what Halliburton's case is, you get eligible for more money, which makes sense the way they had it before. But now you're adding in that they have to play 65 games for it. I get that they want to encourage their players to play as many games in the regular season as possible. But, again, you're risking injuries now. So I think if they were to keep the structure for the awards but take away the money aspect, I think 65 is fine. Um, You don't want players that are playing in 50 games up for MVP anyways. So I think the limit they have is fine. They just need to get rid of the money tied to it because Mm -hmm. that's where players are going to put themselves at risk. Yeah, definitely. As a player, I would definitely not like the rule because, I mean, you can't miss that many games. And sometimes you do get injured like it happens, especially in a sport like the NBA or NFL or whatever. Um, but as a company, it does make sense. You want to see your the best players playing, especially for the fans and your stadium, your team and all that. Um, but they, they do need a certain game to base, base it off of. Um, just like Ben said, I, I do agree that they should take the the money part away of it. Um, it is just like a fine line. It's it's really it's really tough. It's it's a difficult thing for the NBA to do and to really figure out. But we're, yeah. we're talking about the demolition of this rule, but think about like in ten years when we look back on this, we're gonna say, man, that sixty five game rule thing was dumb. Now in that future, are we going to have that? Like I said, the rule, uh, the same rule, but it's fifty five games. And everybody totally agrees on it because it's producing you the maximum result on both ends, NBA end, player end, and the fan end. So I think that's another conversation that we need to have, not necessarily get rid of the rule, get rid of the rule, get rid of the rule, just because, you know, we're getting a negative outcome of it right now. Maybe it's just we need to find that equilibrium and we just haven't found it yet. I don't know. Adam Silver probably knows more than me, though, so... Yeah, well, that will be very interesting to see how that plays out now that we've had a huge season-ending injury. Um, Not necessarily all because of it, but definitely a factor. And prayers up to Embiid and the 76ers organization. And, well, it'll be interesting to see how they attack the trade deadline now that 
their star players out. They're probably going to sit pat and wait till the off season to do something, but we'll see how much they fall without their MVP. Now we'll move into other trade rumors. So Jordan Clarkson is one of the uh, top trade uh, players on the market, and teams like the New York Knicks have been linked to him. Who do you guys view as the best fit for Jordan Clarkson? Mm, the New York Knicks are cool. That would be a good backup for uh, Jalen Brunson. Do they have the pieces to trade for him, though? Evan That's Fournier's contract matches, so it would be probably Fournier plus draft capital. If I'm the Jazz, do I want Evan Fournier? <laughs> He's an expiring salary, so you're basically They'd just trading for draft capital. They'd yeah, have to try to flip him, too, but it would yeah. be hard, probably. I don't know. I think... Uh, yeah, no, to your point, Ricky, I'm not too sure either. Do The Knicks went out and got OG Ananobi and completely elevated their, their style of play. They're hot right now. Is scoring, you know, a 20 minutes a game, a guy who's going to give you scoring something that they need right now? Do you he, think? Would, he would basically take on the quickly role. You got to think, they though, had too, before. Thibodeau, Thibodeau, he doesn't play his bench. That's <laughs> he true. plays his starters. So a person like Jordan Clarkson, he might not be a great fit for New York. He did play so. quickly, like 25 minutes a game. So ideally, they'd view him as the replacement for what Qu- quickly did off the bench. But they traded him, though. They did. For more defense. So I, I don't know. I mean, it, it looks good on paper, but I just don't think Jordan Clarkson will get the the most out of his minutes and his production like his production and minutes wouldn't add up I think I think he needs a lot of minutes in order for him to be productive on the court so do you think there's another team you could see trading for him at the deadline or do you think he stays in Utah let me see come come back come back come back to me um (laughs) well, well we'll go in a little bit about the Lakers then the Lakers are linked to so many players, but namely it's been uh, Hawks guard DeJounte Murray, and that's been a D'Angelo Russell trade, but the Hawks want D'Lo to go to a third team. They don't view him as a fit next to Trey Young. So a proposal that a lot of people have seen is D'Angelo Russell to Brooklyn, uh, Spencer Dinwiddie on his expiring contract to Atlanta, um, and DeJounte to the Lakers. The Lakers would send a first-round pick to the Hawks, and uh, Jalen hood Shafino, who they drafted with their first-round pick. So the Hawks would get Dinwiddie for this year, and then he'd be a free agent, so they'd have cap flexibility. And they'd get a first-round pick from the Lakers in 2029 and get a rookie point guard. So what what would you think about that trade for all sides? That trade would make D'Lo the king of playing on teams <laughs> multiple times. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that would make the social media guy's job easier. You don't even need to Photoshop anything. You could just kind of pull up an take, old image. Yeah, pull yeah. up a picture of him. He, he was had, an all-star there. He already had the tats, so yeah. you don't need to don't need to make it look like it's actually him. Uh, no, but uh, I think that Dejounte Murray is. I don't view him as a massive upgrade for the Lakers, as D'Lo. Uh, I think what we saw D'Lo do in the playoffs last year, you can have confidence in him being on the roster going into the playoffs. Um, but you, as a Lakers fan, watch more Lakers games than me, Ben. Do you think that DeJounte Murray would fit in and would elevate that team? Defensively, by far. That's the big problem with our backcourt right now. D'Lo and Reeves are both poor defenders. DeJounte has taken a step back on defense, but he's still a better defender than D'Lo. He has made an all-defensive team before. 
So I think defensively and also rebounding, he's better than D'Lo. As far as shooting, D'Lo is a much more efficient three-point shooter. Um, DeJounte is having a breakout year from three. He's shooting close to 39%, but is that going to be consistent? For his career, he's close to 35%. D'Lo's, I think, 37% career shooter. This year he's at like 42% from three. Yeah, so he's, gotten really, he's good. It's the shooting that you would be losing, but you'd be getting better on defense. But a big part of it to me is the contract length for both. D'Lo has a player option at the end of the year. He could just opt out and leave somewhere in the offseason. And the Lakers are not eligible to extend him until the offseason. So you're kind of taking a risk keeping D'Lo when he could just walk and then you're basically screwed out of a point guard. DeJounte would have four more years on his deal if they were to trade for him. Mm. So I think that's an aspect they're looking into. But if they decide to keep D'Lo, there are other routes. They're looking at the three players from the Nets, Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, and Royce O'Neal. So Finney-Smith and O'Neal would fit like the 3 and D role that they kind of are missing right now. And Dinwiddie would be maybe a backup point guard if they were to keep D'Lo. So that's something to look at too. And then Tyus Jones from the Wizards is someone they view as a backup point guard. Gabe Vincent was signed in the offseason to be that backup point guard. He's <laughs> appeared in five games so far. And in those five games, he was pretty bad. <laughs> I'm sorry, Dan. Yeah, it's I'm a sorry. three-year deal, so it's a negative asset around the league, so it's going to even be hard to move him for anything. But Do you know what uh, D'Lo's player option is for next year? It is at 17 or $18 million. He's definitely going to take that. He has to. If he walk, well, Why would he walk out? Well, Brooklyn is the team I would view that might want to sign him to a bigger deal in the offseason. Other than that, I don't see that many teams making an offer for him, but he might get more money from Brooklyn because Dinwiddie's expiring. If they, they're talking about doing a trade right now for DeJounte, it would be D'Lo going to Brooklyn and they're giving up Dinwiddie. So if they could wait to the offseason to just sign D'Lo they would probably have a pretty big offer for him. In the Lakers, I don't know how much they would be willing to pay for D'Lo. Yeah. They probably wouldn't match, yeah. I think it, if D'Lo's going to be extended, it's going to be similar to the number it is now, like 17, 18, 18 million a year. I don't think they're going to go up to like 25. Yeah, definitely not. That's why I would think he would he would take it. But I, I, I see where you're coming from on the Brooklyn standpoint because when on top of my head, I can't really – I mean, Cam There's Thomas not many is a shooting guard. Fits like, for him, guard. but Brooklyn, Brooklyn does make yeah, a lot of sense. They don't really have a point guard over there, what I can think of right now. Yeah, he'd be a big upgrade over Dinwiddie and good fit next to Bridges. So Yeah. But, yeah, the Lakers have a lot to think about. There's many different directions they could go. I've also heard they might stand pat at the deadline and just roll with this roster because in the offseason they would then be eligible to trade away three first-round picks. Mm. So that means they would be pursuing guys like Donovan Mitchell and Trey Young in the offseason. Yeah, see, I think that's a better way to go. I feel like if you get somebody right now, they're just pressing the panic button. I think they should keep Steadley because we see in the West right now, I mean, who do you guys think that could realistically, like, get out of the the one through a seed? I mean, I see the Pelicans maybe dropping, but – like the one through five, maybe the Kings drop, but I, I just don't. No way, man! Like the meme. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> like I don't, I, I don't see a lot of teams uh, that are really gonna like 
Yeah, I, I, maybe the Pelicans. So like, even if they do get Jazante Murray or somebody else, how like how high are they right. gonna get? And what are what are they really gonna do? Kind of would be year? the same spot as last year, where at the end of the year it was just we need to make the playoffs and then we'll figure it out. And we'll see how we saw how well that worked for them. They turned it on in playoffs, and that's what everyone really thought they were gonna do. They went in as a seven seed, had to play a playing game. Uh, and everyone was just like, they just got to win these two games and then just wait and see. And that's what they did. Yeah. So that's a great point, Ricky. They they very well could do that and probably be fine if they did it. I think they might be able to do that without a trade, but that means they got to fire Darvin Ham. <laughs> All right, well, what's what, what's up with you and Darvin Ham? I'm, I'm, I'm confused. I thought he was a good coach. <laughs> he looked like it last year, but this year, I don't know. what I was talking to Jalen about it the other night. Torian Prince, he's, like, obsessed with him for some reason. <laughs> Torian Prince is, like, a solid role player. Like, he's a, he's good, a good shooter. He's getting a lot of unnecessary hate right now from Lakers fans, but that's just because of how Darvin Ham uses him. We're a little bit over halfway through the season now. He's started more games than he has in his entire career, and I don't know why. Yeah, he'll have games where he has zero points, and Darvin Ham gives him thirty minutes. He must be cooking in practice or something. Like he must be doing well, some crazy you stuff know, in practice. Twitter, you gotta look at Lakers Twitter. <laughs> I'm not even gonna comment on it, but like, there's like, <laughs> no way. man, him and Darvin Ham. There's so many weird posts about them. Oh. So, and that's so what? random. Torian Prince too, an acquisition guy that they got this off season, right? Yeah, he was signed one year, four point five million. So the Lakers, they made it to the Western Conference Finals. We re-signed our core that made it there. We got Rui back. We extended Vanderbilt. Got Reeves. We got D'Lo back, and then they added role players. That's why everyone was saying the Lakers won the off season back in October because they added back their Western Conference Finals team, signed their guys, yeah, and signed good role players around them. Yes. But Darvin Ham is playing these role players more than the guys that got him to the Western Conference Finals last wow. year. Vanderbilt has not started alongside D'Lo, Reeves, LeBron, and AD. That's the lineup that got them to the Western Conference Finals. Um, and Rui Hachimura has seen his minutes go down. And Cam Reddish, when he's healthy, has been playing 20-plus minutes a game. He's been a really good defender, but he's not. He's, he shouldn't be getting that many minutes. That's I, what I don't get. That's what I was confused on earlier. Yeah. I was like, "Why is he getting a lot?" I, I don't. I don't. I don't it's know. So weird. You know. go away from him to just the team. I, that. Yeah, he's just not utilizing the player. If he ran the lineup like last year and then just implemented Torian Prince and Cam Reddish and the guys we brought in in the offseason off the bench, I think they could be a top five seed right now. But the way he's been playing him, he benched Reeves for a while. Reeves was the sixth man for like maybe a month. He benched D'Lo for a few weeks, and D'Lo was the sixth man, and it just hasn't worked. I don't get what his opposition of going back to the starting lineup from the Western Conference Finals is last year. Even in interviews, he's like deflecting the questions. Reporters ask him every game, are you going back to that lineup? And he's like, oh, no comment. Like, he just doesn't even want to talk about it. He just is obsessed with playing Torian Prince. (laughs) Who, Very diplomatic approach. No comment. Yeah, <laughs> we gotta we gotta look into this. This this is this like a mystery. We gotta figure I, this out because it doesn't make sense. I saw a couple pictures of the game when the a couple nights ago when the Rockets destroyed the Lakers, and the Lakers looked so bad on defense that game. And there was a huddle where Ime Udoka is screaming at his players and going on the court and running around and everything. And Darvin Ham is literally outside of the circle 
as if a star player on the team would be while they're huddling up together, like getting ready for the next, for the next, when the stoppage of play stopped. Um, so, yeah, to your point, Ben, there's there's got to be some sort of disconnect or something going on that, you know, we just can't see. And LeBron was asked a question the other night about what the team needs to do better, and he was getting ready to, like, go off, and then a reporter stopped him, and he was like, thank you, I was about to go off. Wow. Hey, man, he's too old for that. He'll, he'll, he got no patience no more. He'll just. So it's LeBron's a free agent at the ne- at the end of the year, too, unless he accepts his player option. So there could be a lot going on. I think they just need to fire the coach. He is not, <laughs> he's not been a good coach this year. Like, he's not utilizing the talent they have. Now, is there great replacements in season? No, it's, it's tough to replace a coach midseason, but. The fact that he has this talented roster, that the core of it made it to the Western Conference Finals last year, and they're sitting at ninth in the Western Conference. AD has only missed four games this year. Oh, AD's LeBron, been playing phenomenal. AD's been playing good. He's third in the NBA in minutes yeah, right now. He's been playing really and good. And LeBron has maybe missed seven or eight games. Like for two superstars to not miss a ton of games in your at ninth, their age two, ninth in the Western Conference. Yeah, that can't happen. They they can't be playing the most minutes. <laughs> hey, this, there's no way LeBron should be playing the most minutes. Well, and the reason LeBron is probably out tonight, we've been blown out two straight games. We had a back-to-back. Yep. LeBron played in both. Yeah. Even when it was a blowout, Darvin Ham kept him in the game for so much that he played close to 40 minutes both games. If you're getting blown out, let him rest, and maybe he's playing tonight in Boston. But he's not even managing the minutes while in blowout. So Darvin Ham needs to go. They, if they're going to hire someone, internal candidate would be Phil Handy, uh, a Lakers assistant coach. He's known as, like, the best skills coach in the NBA. Now, does he want a head coaching opportunity? I don't know. Um, so if he doesn't, then an outside candidate, uh, Terry Stotts, who used to be the uh, Portland Trailblazers head coach, would probably be the best one. How about uh, Adrian Griffin? You're not messing with No, messing with no, we don't oh, need... That would be so funny. You're not, not messing with Adrian <laughs> Lakers Griffin, Lakers season fire. Yeah, I don't think <laughs> the, the I don't guy think from we, the other one. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we go for that. Uh, <laughs> that would just probably be the same exact problems. Dang. Um, but yeah, it's maybe not with Torian Prince. <laughs> maybe yeah, maybe he'll put Torian on the. Maybe y'all need to trade Torian Prince for somebody. Yeah, know. well, it would get him away from Darvin Ham. <laughs> so, but I like Torian. Like he's a good shooter. He's close to thirty nine percent, and he's a solid defender. But Darvin Ham, he needs to play him. As he should be played. He's a role player. Give him 20 minutes a game off the bench. Let Rui play 25. Let Vando play close to 30. Or you could flip-flop him depending on how the game's going. That's how it should be run right now. Vanderbilt's defense makes up for Reeves and D'Lo not being a strong defensive backcourt. Hey, and that's what this? we saw last year. What's up with this Jackson Hayes guy? Why is he, He's playing a lot of minutes too. That's, AD's been out. That's oh, why Jackson okay, okay, is okay. playing. Um He's yeah. been okay since he's come back. His first game was good. His second game was so-so. Um, but, yeah, it seems like Darvin Ham's lost the locker room. And, yes, you're going to have to pay two coaches if you fire him. But if you want to commit to winning, LeBron doesn't have that many years left. This might be his last year with L.A. Even if you don't make any trades, firing the coach gives you a better chance at this point. It looks like he's just totally disconnected from the players. Yeah, I mean, if you if you say so, Ben. If you say so, Ben. <laughs> Jackson I, Jackson I, Hayes kind of looks like Jaron McCain. Yeah, I know. No, I was just 
I, I know who he is. I was just kind of because he he played twenty four minutes, had six rebounds and six points, and I was just seeing what was going on. Pelicans legend. Torian Prince had twenty five points, two rebounds, and seven points last game. Yeah, I don't know, Ben. Maybe you do have to fire the coach, bro. Maybe Ben should step up as head coach. Maybe I will should. take it on with pride if they <laughs> offer it. Maybe Torian Prince is just pressing everybody. He's like, nah, bro, I'm playing. Like, I'm playing the whole game. He's, he's just, yeah. <laughs> he's, just, he's running fades at practice. Like, I yeah. am starting tonight, guys. And he's winning. He's winning the fights. That's why he's playing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, it could be at this point with how long it's been going on. But, yeah, go back to the lineup that got you to the Western Conference Finals. If Darvin Ham does that and it, like, shows success, like, yeah, everyone's going to be pissed at him that it's taken him this long to figure it out. But uh, then, you know, maybe they could go on a run. Yeah. Maybe he could gain the trust back you from the locker room. You got to get the results room. first, yeah. You got to win games at this point. The, they're almost tied with uh, Utah right now. <laughs> yeah. And Utah is, <laughs> like, a rebuilding team. in the Western team, Conference right? last year. Yeah. So... I don't know what's up with the yeah, Lakers. Uh, Darvin Ham, I think, has to go. When you look at the Lakers' box score, it's so scattered. It's weird. Like, it just looks weird. Yeah. Like, you're playing all these minutes, and you're just getting so much inconsistent, in, inconsistency from, like, half the team. You can't win with, with this formula. I don't know. Yeah, LeBron in the – so he played 48 minutes against Golden State in the double <laughs> overtime win, which makes sense. It went to double overtime as a close game, right? That's funny. So how do you manage that, right? You get blown out two straight games, right? So, okay, you're getting blown out. Take out LeBron because he just played 48 minutes a couple nights ago. No, you play him 37 minutes on Monday against Houston when you're blown out. And then the next day he plays again. You're getting blown out. Oh, let's play him 36 minutes. That's All why he's not playing in – Boston right now. Yeah. (laughs) This is insane. I seriously do not understand what Darvin Ham is doing. So I think it's time. You got to run the racehorse. You can't run no more. And and, and LeBron can help you. Yeah. You know? Trudell, who we've had on this show, he was amazing. Yeah. Maybe Trudell steps up as head coach. Yes. You would have a great cabinet (laughs) then if, if you were to step up into that position. And I think you could do it. Yeah. Uh, I'm up for it. We need change. Lock that in. Uh, but yeah, Phil Handy, Terry Stotts are legitimate candidates for the job. Uh, if they fire him, I don't think it's going to happen, sadly. And I think the Lakers are going to continue to struggle. They're going to barely make it into the play-in. The trade deadline is going to be huge. And I don't know. It's They're a mess. They're a mess. Even with their two superstars healthy for most of the year, they're struggling. At least they're the Lakers, man. At least they're the Lakers. They'll figure it out. Yeah, yeah this offseason is going to be big because I, I think what's going to happen, they're going to keep Ham for the rest of the year. I think if they make a trade, it's going to be minor. Um, and I think the offseason is really going to be a big deciding point. I think the offseason they'd probably fire Darvin Ham. I think they just don't want to do it midseason for some reason. Yeah, no, that's That would be crazy. Um, that would be too much panic going around, and then it would look bad for LeBron. And I don't think they would fire him midseason. And I think then is LeBron going to be like, okay, yeah, I'm committed to come back next year, or I'm committed to sign an extension, or is he going to be like, no, I'm going to go to this other place where I know I can win. And then what does that do for AD? Does AD want to stay with the Lakers, or does he request a trade? Things move it's, very fast it's now. It's going to be a lot. This is a huge moment for the Lakers. This, we'll talk about it more next week as the, the trade deadline approaches um, because it'll be right after the trade deadline ends yep. when we have our show next week. So 
We'll break down everything that went down. This has been an eventful episode of the Sports Report Pod. Thanks for listening and class dismissed. Thank you for listening to the Sports Report Podcast. Be sure to check out our Instagram at the Sports Report Pod for more content and to never miss an episode. We'll see you next time. Score!